0: If you would, take your Bibles, turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to take a few moments and uh, consider once again this important passage about the nature of Christ that speaks really to the breadth of the ministry of Christ, His birth, His death, His resurrection, and His second coming, all in just a few verses. We're able to work all of that in in these verses. They are... Fitting words to consider during the Christmas season. as you're as you're turning there, just a couple other things. One, I am grateful for all the folks um, who who sang solos for the children and you know these folks who sang solos and and normally, this is not the kind of thing I would do identifying one in particular, but I'm just going to take a moment of personal privilege. Uh, Dick Thomas, it was so great to hear you sing this morning, brother. And then also, last week, somebody came up to me at the end of the service and said, I I guess you got a little bit of a break today, since there wasn't any preaching. I said, yes. And then I looked at my watch and looked at them and said, so did you. (laughs) Will not happen the same way this morning. All right. (laughs) Philippians chapter 2, we'll begin in verse 5. What would you think of the following scenarios? World-renowned expert in math gives up a prestigious college professor position to teach first graders how to add and subtract. An NFL Hall of Famer turns down lucrative pro- Football team coaching jobs to coach pee-wee football. The world's leading architect, rather than taking a contract for millions of dollars to design what would be a world-famous structure leaves that all in order to design and help build cookie-cutter-style homes for Habitat for Humanity. A highly decorated combat veteran, skilled with military strategy, leaves a high-level leadership position in the military to work with junior ROTC at a local school. What would you think of those scenarios? If you heard of such a story, if you heard of individuals who did just that thing, those who were leading experts, who were were commanding top dollar for their skill set, but instead gave all of that up to reach, influence, help those who may be considered the, the least among us. What would you think of such stories? Well, my guess is you'd all be really impressed, right? In fact, you're wondering who are all those people? I don't know. I made all that up. I did. I, I say I made all that up. There could be people like that. I don't know if there are or not but just the fact that you were hanging on hoping that you would hear a name associated with it demonstrates that would be incredible, highly unusual, outside of the norm of things, right? I mean, what's the typical path that we take? We climb the ladder, right? And, and, and that's, that, that, that's not to make light of anybody who has done just that thing. After years of skill and education, going from one position to the next, bettering himself or herself, And that is the normal way in which we would do things. But to think that there would be those who would give up the dream in order to help the least. In fact, some may even hear that scenario and on the outside extol it, but on the inside think... Well, those jobs would be beneath them. Now, in spite of the fact that I think our our normal path would be a climbing the ladder, I do think we recognize there is a certain kind of value in giving up the glory in order to serve others. Uh, Surely you can see the connection, right? I mean, there's no greater example of that. While I don't know if a math guy or a football guy or a military guy or, or architect, I don't know if there's anybody out there that would fit that bill. But I I can tell you the single greatest example of this in all of human history, it's not like it's even first and there's others that are a close second. There is an immense gulf between anybody who's given up anything to serve another and what we're talking about when we talk about what Jesus did in the Christmas story. You want to know the meaning of the word sacrifice. Don't look to your own life. And don't look at the lives of those that you know have sacrificed a lot, though there may be some great examples of that. You want to know what real sacrifice looks at like, then look to the Son of God, fully divine, second person of the Trinity, becoming a human. And not just becoming a human, but debasing himself to the lowest of points, dying for that humanity. Often when we think about the sacrifice of Christ, our mind is drawn to the cross. I think that's about 33 years too late. When we think about Christ's sacrifice, it should start way back here. It should start way back at this that we remember during the Christmas season. His sacrifice begins long, long before He runs into any Pharisees or Sadducees, long, long before there's any miracles or lepers or demon-possessed people, long before there's a conspiracy, long before there's Passion Week, long before there's a Last Supper, a cross, and an empty tomb. The sacrifice of our Savior began when He gave up the glories of heaven so that we might be saved. This is what we mean when we talk about the principle that we looked at a couple of weeks ago, and we're going to take just a few minutes and talk about it again this morning, and that is the condescension of the Son of God. We, we have been looking at philippians 2 5 through 11 and and reminding ourselves what this passage does it serves as an illustration for paul paul has commended the church in philippi to be unified to be other centered and to have the same mind in themselves and he goes on to say that mind is the mind of christ and what is the mind of christ well it is it is this one who was under no obligation to serve, served to the greatest degree. And in fact, looking at these verses, we we see four theological emphases, and we've been on this first one, the condescension of the Son of God. Two weeks ago, we looked at the first one. There are three phrases that flesh out what this means. When we say that Jesus condescended, meaning he came down, he lowered himself. For our sake, Paul strings together three phrases that illustrate this. Number one, and there's going to be blanks to fill in. You're going to have to fill, in, fill them in pretty quick. And the, 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 first, the first one being God of very God. God of very God. This is what we looked at a couple of weeks ago. So it's that first phrase in verse five, uh, verse six, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God. When the text talks about Jesus being in the form of God, it doesn't mean he was kind of like God. It doesn't mean he was like a cookie cutter, you know, that that looked, you know, it's not, it's not, it's not an actual star that you're eating at Christmas time or an actual Christmas tree. It's the form of one. All right, it's not what he means. Being in the form of God was a phrase that means in all ways Jesus was was divine. He all that is essential and true about divinity is was true of Jesus. So, God a very God. By the way, that phrase, that's not my own. I've taken that from the Nicene Creed. All right, so the churches believe this for many, many, many years. All right? And this is one of the phrases they use in the Nicene Creed in order to, to synthesize and very clearly articulate the fact that the church believes Jesus was fully and completely God while at the same time being fully and completely man so god a very god but then there's a second idea that gives us a little bit more insight into what it means when we talk about the condescension he did not cling to his heavenly exalted status he did not cling to his heavenly exalted status look at that next phrase new king james puts it this way after the phrase, who being in the form of God, all right, he was the God of very God, but he did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Now, if you have the New King James and you see that word robbery, that just sounds weird, doesn't it? Because what's our connotation when we hear robbery? Negative, right? In other words, what, what's it saying? Like Jesus was trying to steal something from God, but he didn't try and steal something from God. When we hear the word robbery, we naturally think... You know, again, of that negative, you know, like a crime that's being committed. Well, that's not really how this word's being used. In fact, if you have a a Bible that has like notes in the margin or even study notes at the bottom, it it might offer a little bit more clarity to say this phrase also can be translated as did not hold on to or did not grasp on to it or did not cling to it. In other words, when he says, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God means he did not cling to it. He did not hold on to, it's not that he let go of divinity, what what he did not hold on to was the right that he possessed to be treated as God. He was in the form of God. Everything that's true about God was true about the Son of God. Everything that was was true about divinity was true about Jesus. And Jesus could have come, right? He could have descended in the fullness of glory that the Son of God would have possessed. He could have come. He could have demanded worship. He could have demanded submission. He could have demanded uh, recognition. He could have demanded all of these things. But he didn't. He didn't grasp onto it he didn't cling to what were the the rights and privileges he enjoyed as the son of god this means he he allowed others to treat him in a way that was not consistent with how he deserved to be treated You see, this this is now, when we're talking about this as an example of what it means to serve, keep in mind, that's what Paul's doing here. Paul is using this teaching about Jesus as a way to illustrate, here's what it looks like to be selfless. Here's what it looks like to serve others. Here's, Here's what it looks like to consider others as better than you. That's what Paul says in verses one through four. And he's using this as an example And saying, so here's one who was in the very form of God, who had a right to be treated in a certain way, but he didn't demand it. What do you see in the world around you today? What do you see in church life today? I think what we tend to see is not that. What we tend to see is, nope. There's a way I'm going to demand to be treated. I'm going to expect you to do things in a certain way. I'm going to expect a certain level of treatment. And in other words, how do people very often live their lives? As if they are the center of it. People very often live as if they are the center of the universe. Here's the irony of what Jesus did. Jesus was and is the center of the universe. He just didn't demand to be treated like it. He didn't cling, he didn't hold on to, he didn't expect these things. So, God, a very God, did not cling to his heavenly exalted status. Number three, but instead set aside the rights and privileges his divinity afforded him. But instead set aside the rights and privileges his divinity afforded him. So notice that next phrase, another tricky one. New King James puts it like this, verse 7, and again, kind of keeping the flow of everything. So being in the form of God, somebody who deserved to be treated as God, did not cling on to that, but instead, but made himself of no reputation. Now, we're not going to be able to get to the rest of the phrases, all right, that'll be next week taking the form of a bondservant, coming in the likeness of men. That first phrase there in verse 7, made himself of no reputation. Some of you may have a translation that tries to put that language, the language of the original text, as literally as possible, and says something like, he emptied himself. Some might even say he made himself nothing. So that that is the nature of the original word that's there. When when the New King James, what it translates as made himself of no reputation, it it is the language of, of the emptying of Christ. And so let me go ahead and do something here, all right? It's a warning of sorts. I have never been closer... To the potential for heresy than right now. Oh, that got some attention. Look at that. All right, now oh, he's about to get interesting. Okay, Merry Christmas. I, I I would contend you 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 do you do run the risk with this one phrase made himself of no reputation, emptied himself. It is at this point where theologians, pastors, Bible teachers, you could really get up to the line of blowing this thing big time. Because here's what could happen. You could read that phrase when it says, made himself of no reputation or emptied himself. There are some liberal, unbelieving theologians who for whatever reason still want to talk about the Bible who would say that a passage like that Means what, what? What we're talking about here is Jesus was not fully divine. He emptied himself, gave up his divinity. But then there is another problem. We so so we we clearly don't want to do that, right? Right. That's not a rhetor- I mean, it is a rhetorical question. You should know how to answer that question. All right. we, we don't want to say Jesus gave up being divine he did not do that he was still fully and completely divine but on the other hand we don't want to we don't want to have this you know in other words we don't have this theology that says he was less divine we also don't want to have this weird theology that would suggest you know that that uh, well that there really wasn't any humanity in him there are those who have believed that in church history oddly enough We also don't want to believe that Jesus was some kind of mixture. In other words, so we're not saying Jesus divested himself of divinity and took on humanity. We're also not saying that Jesus let out a little bit of his divinity so he could add in some humanity. All right? So you got a big cup full of Coca-Cola and you want to add Pepsi. All right? And you want to add some root beer to it. I don't know. I don't know if that's any good, but you can try it later. Okay? Okay what would be your option? Well, you could, you could pour in root beer. What's going to happen? Well, some of the other is going to spill out. You could pour out part of the cup that has the liquid in it and fill it with the rest of what you want. There's an ancient heresy that argues fundamentally that was the nature of Jesus. He was this weird mixture, Right? That we filled up, he filled up some of the cup from the fountain of divinity, filled up the rest of the cup from the fountain of humanity, and he was this weird mixture of part man, part God. No, that's wrong. That's heresy. If somebody believes that, they don't believe the gospel. All right, so we want to avoid all of that. Okay, all right, Pastor, good. Well, you're good at telling me what not to believe. All right, so what, sh- what should I believe? So when it says that he, he emptied himself, he made himself of... No reputation. I think this is a way of saying that Jesus, rather than demanding he be served and treated and related to in a certain way, and at the same time, rather than exercising the fullness of divine attributes that he possessed, he set that aside. He didn't give them away. He didn't give them up. And that, that's why a, a verse like a text like the New King James uses the language made himself of no reputation. He deserved to be treated a certain way. He deserved for everyone who ever saw him to fall at his feet in worship. He deserved absolute, unquestioned loyalty and submission. That's what he deserved. But instead, he set that aside. He set that aside for the sake of the work that had to be accomplished. So again, we're not talking about something where he loses something, but instead decides not to express in fullness what he could have. Think of it this way. This may be the best way to reason this out in our minds. Think about what the Son of God's existence was like in heaven before that first Christmas morning, before conception, quite frankly. Imagine what that was like. Do you think anybody then was plotting to kill him? Do you think anybody would have accused him of being a son of Satan? in heaven? You think, you think anybody in heaven was ridiculing him, blaspheming him? Blaspheming him? Do, you, do you think anybody in heaven uh, was, was try, trying to organize a political movement against him? Well, no. In fact, what would have happened? Well, there, were, there was one who tried to usurp God's sovereignty and, and, and authority, right? What would have happened? Obviously, there would have been swift and certain judgment. What happened on earth? Think about this. The first time one of those knuckle-headed religious leaders pointed their hypocritical, judgmental finger at Jesus and dared to chastise him, you know what he could have done? He could have lit them on fire. That would have made a different story, right? You want to... would that would have preached that that okay he could have snapped his fingers he could have just spoken the word ignite boy boy if hollywood could have gotten a hold of jesus right i mean boy there could have been a lot of things done differently how how, how about the moment that they try and come and arrest him You, you want to look then at a display of divinity what did he do When Jesus identified himself, you go read the Gospel of John, you know what happened when Jesus identified himself to the rabble that was coming to arrest him, the Romans coming to arrest him? When he identified himself as the one, the Bible says they all fell down. But yet Jesus did what? He allowed himself to be arrested. The Son of God, the one who was at the beginning, the one who was was the Word and is the Word and who brought all things into creation, that very one was put into shackles. Are you kidding? And this is what it means. He set aside some of the things he was worthy of receiving. He set aside some of the ways he could have reacted. All because of one thing, and we'll reflect on this question a little bit more in the next couple of weeks as we have a few more times to consider um, this, this, this story and, and this, this text in particular, but this then addresses something important. Why would he do this? Why would he do it this way? Of all the ways that salvation could have happened, why? why this? Because this is the only way you can kill God. How else can God die? How else can God die and the death of God be a sufficient sacrifice for the sins of How can God die and then also be raised from the dead and break the power of sin and death and its curse? He's got to do this. He has to condescend. The God of very God, (laughs) rather than demanding to be treated in a certain way, set aside certain rights and privileges. It's the only way that salvation could happen. This is what the Bible says is the significance then of the birth of Christ. This is why we celebrate this. This is why this matters. It's not, it's not because we love the lights and the colors and the food and you're saying, what, really? No, yeah, seriously. I mean, no, all that stuff's great and I indulge in all of those things. But when we, the reason why we even bother, which the Bible doesn't demand that we remember these things. The reason though why we do is because they are essential to the gospel itself. That we believe God, fully God, became fully man. He didn't leave one and became part of another. He remained both in all of the fullness because then and only then could he be a great high priest who could sympathize with our weaknesses. Then and only then could he be a sufficient sacrifice for the sins of people. Then and only then could he be raised from the dead. This is the glory of the Christmas story. Christ condescending so that we might be saved. Of course, I would then also remind you In the context of all that Paul is saying, this is about service. So just just think of the ways in which you resist serving others. You may not admit it, but because you think it's beneath you. The times in which you you wonder, you know, what are they doing for me? What's that church doing for me? What are those people around me doing for me? And do you think about that in the context of who Jesus is and what Jesus did? If anybody had rights, they could have demanded it was Jesus, but he set them aside. To be sure, we should consider the same thing. That we might serve those whom God has called us to serve. How is your service? How is your Christ-likeness? How does it stack up then to this example we have from Jesus himself? Of course as we close here this morning I would also make an appeal that that service was demonstrated in an ultimate sense through the work of the gospel itself and if you are here today and you've never trusted in Christ as your savior then I would implore you confess your sin confess Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead and to ask God to forgive you based on what Christ and Christ alone has done and you can be saved today. This is the promise of the gospel. Let's stand together, and I'm going to pray. After I pray, we will continue to sing, and I pray that in these moments then you would allow the Word of God by His Spirit to be brought to bear on your lives. Father God, we do thank you for the gathering of your church. We're grateful for this opportunity to to sing these great truths, this opportunity then to to hear these great truths in your Word, and so may we submit ourselves to you and to the truth of God of our Savior condescending, coming down, taking on human flesh, that he might be a faithful and sufficient sacrifice for our sins, providing us then with salvation. And then may may we as your people understand the power of this example of sacrifice and commit ourselves to being a people who serve, serve you, serve one another, all for your glory. So again, Father, we trust our lives into your hands, praying your will to be done, that you would be glorified in us and through us. That's in Christ's name we pray, amen.